Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Changes with me, Annie McManus. We have such a great episode for you this week. Emily Ratajkowski is one of the most recognisable faces and one of the most recognisable bodies in the world. She has 28 million followers on Instagram. 28 And if you find her there, you'll see lots of photos of her with not a lot of clothes on, often in gorgeous locations, sometimes promoting her own swimwear line. Now, I'm not saying that to be in any way judgmental. It's just to illustrate that Emily Ratajkowski has made a hugely successful career out of commodifying her body. She says this herself. She's the first one to admit it. She used to refer to herself as a mannequin there to be dressed and undressed for everyone else's pleasure, while she remained totally impassive, dissociated, emotionless. Then she had this breakthrough moment when she was 21 years old, when she danced nearly naked in the video for Robin Thicke's Blurred Lines. This was one of the biggest songs of the year, a huge song, and the video was massively talked about. And Emily was the focal point for all of those conversations about the male gaze, misogyny in entertainment and the things we expect of women in the public eye. The thing is, for a long time, Emily Ratajkowski was pretty steadfast in her conviction that in her modelling work, it was always her who had the power. She thought there was nothing intrinsically unbalanced in the dynamic of a young woman dancing around naked while fully dressed men ogled her. She saw herself as strong, confident, totally in control. But over the years, this sense of unease kind of announced itself in her. She started writing things down to try to get to the bottom of some of her behaviour and some of her anxieties. And what she discovered was that a lot of the things she'd taken to be simple or black and white were a lot more nuanced than she'd been telling herself. And some of the worldviews that she prided herself on previously, she changed her mind on completely. This is a conversation about a woman whose belief systems have been turned upside down. She's written a really powerful, honest book of essays about a lot of this, and it's called My Body. It's out now. Her writing is curious, it's precise, it's very easy to read, you'll fly through the essays, and they'll really make you think. So delighted to have her on Changes today. And I started our conversation by asking her what it is that writing offers her that modelling does not. Enter the podcast, Emily Ratajkowski. Oh my God. Um, I mean, that is a limitless answer. I could answer that question forever. Um, I will say what it, without comparing it to modeling, what it offers me is an ability to organize my thoughts and feelings, both personal and political. And um, that's why I like essays so much is I sort of like start with a question or something that I can't, I can't figure out what I feel about or what I think about. And then I try to write to, to get to the bottom of it. Mm. And which act, I mean, because both acts, I mean, we'll talk about this, but both acts, uh, you're vulnerable in, in, in the act of, of, of kind of putting out the results of modeling work or the results of writing work. Which act feels more vulnerable to you having done both? 
writing, um, partly because with modeling and exposing myself and my body, I tend to, it's something I write about, disassociate and sort of Mm. like feel outside of myself. And writing is quite the opposite experience. You're very much in yourself. Mm. And, you know, if I'm, if I'm writing well, I'm really not thinking about anything else except the experience of living within my body. Mm. It's the best feeling, isn't it? It is. Mm. I'm really interested in the way that your thinking changed as you grew up and there's kind of, there seems to be like certain kind of epiphanies that you have. And one of them is kind of the idea of realizing that you are different because of the way you look and maybe because of how people look at you and treat you because of that. Can you remember a moment when you realized that or a time in your life when you realized I'm being marked out as different to other people because of how I look? Yeah, I developed, I had puberty pretty young and like got breasts and developed breasts and just like a woman's body before I even knew what sex was. How old were you? Can you remember? Yeah, I was, I think I was like, I was in fifth grade. So like 10 or, or something, right, so yeah. quite, quite young. Yeah. And um, I'd say from like 10 to 12 where I started to feel it in school with other kids, you know, having boobs and like under our arm hair, it was like very scary. Um, and both felt, you know, exciting. Cause like boys paid attention to me, but then also they'd like make fun of me for having underarm hair, you know? Um, and that just kind of kept happening. Um, the experience of both like male attention, feeling good and feeling like, Oh, this is a great thing. But then also feeling like, you know, I had a dress code at my school and feeling ashamed of, you know, like feeling like I was a bad kid or bad girl if my bra strap showed or if my stomach mm. showed. Um, so this sort of like constant, it was very confusing um, because it both felt really good and also shameful. Mm. And how did your parents react to your beauty and the way that you looked? I mean, my mom is extremely beautiful and her family had told her and taught her that she was not supposed to um, capitalize on it or even like say thank you when people told her that she was beautiful um, because uh, her father felt like it was something that she hadn't earned or worked for. And I think that, you know, she had a daughter and thought, Like, I don't want that for my daughter. I don't want this to be something that she feels ashamed of. So she really, you know, was all about sort of like letting me dress how I wanted and whatever. And I think also she celebrated the way that the world perceived me as pretty and beautiful, which to me says kind of less about her and more about just how our world works where young women, like, of course, you'd want your daughter to be attractive because you know that they might have an easier life. And now being a parent, I had an ex-boyfriend's mom who once said to me like, well, if I had had a daughter, I would have totally talked about her, uh, about weight with her and like made sure that she kept her weight at an appropriate whatever. And I was horrified by that. And I thought like, well, you definitely did do that with your son. But now being a little bit older, I look back on that. And I think like, of course she wanted that because she was trying to think of how she would have protected her daughter. Mm. So these things get kind of, you know, twisted and turned. Um, but yeah. What do you think is the kind of biggest change that you went through in childhood that kind of impacted you the most? I think that, um, 
I mean, definitely becoming a woman when I really was still a child, but being perceived by the world as a woman was sort of the, the thing that changed me the most. Hmm. Then you become a model. You're working as a model quite young. Again, there's lots of it that I found quite shocking. Again, having that kind of distance from it and kind of just reading it as a, you know, as a total stranger, there was one bit where I was like, what the fuck? I think it was one of your first topless shoots, but you were still a junior in high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, how did that change the way you moved through the world? Well, I think that I had no sense of what was happening other than that it was validating and felt, sure. you know, really validating for older men who, you know, ran a magazine to say like, you're hot. Um, basically it felt mm. really good to have that. And I think that at the time, that's all I focused on now, looking back, I'm like, wow, <laughs> I was a child. I actually can like visualize that specific picture in my mind. And I'm thinking about if I saw a 17 year old or a 16 year, I think I was 17 year old in that way. Now I'd be horrified because I can recognize how young I was. But no, at the time, it just felt like really powerful and cool. But I think that there were things going on under the surface of that that I didn't even realize, which is that I was learning to to place a lot of value in how desirable I could be to men. Yeah, there's another really kind of hard hitting bit where you describe going into an agency with your friend and they're looking at your photos and they talk about a photo of you, basically them seeing it and being like, oh, we know you've had sex from that photo. And, and you're, you're like, you know, trying to figure out what this means to them, trying to like, is this good? And then you realize that being sexually desirable gives you a power of some sort. Am I right? I'm sorry. I don't want to put words. Yeah, in no, definitely. I mean, I think in general, we, you know, you think about like everybody remembers the like girls that they either that, you know, were popular because the boys yeah, liked them. Like course. you remember yeah, those yeah. girls and um, I do too. And I remember like thinking like that, you know, there were the guys who were cool because they could skateboard and, or they like drove a cool car or whatever. They had different things that made them desirable. But, you know, to me in the hierarchy of school, like, having girls who were hot and like, not just pretty, but like the boys liked, that was just so important. And, you know, everybody, adults, whatever they comment from your, when I was a young little girl, like, oh, you're going to be a heartbreaker or whatever. And it felt like the thing that made me special. So like, when you look back at those years, there's so much about it that is like archetypal teenager dumb, smoking pot and sexually experimenting and like making friends and losing friends and, you know, figuring out who you are. When you look back at being a model in those years, do you think it helped or hindered you kind of in terms of your growth as a person? Uh, both. I think it did both. I think that, you know, in some ways I had perspective on the very small world that high school and adolescence can feel like everything I had perspective because I was working, you know, I was like, I was a professional, um, doing something and, you know, building towards something that felt, um, like bigger and outside of school and outside of the small community that I grew up in. But then on the other hand, it sort of reinforced 
ideas of about what what were the important parts of myself and you know I don't know I'm not sure I think it just allowed for certain things to happen in my life where I was very underprotected and I didn't protect myself that being said it also like brought me a career so like I was already sort of working towards a career even when I was 16 17 so it's hard to say that it hindered me it just also it led for kind of a complicated complicated thing yeah and and what were your mom and dad thinking at this point I'm, I'm aware of what you said about your mom about her her father and the idea of beauty not being it's not work and you've done you've completely contradicted his theory you're going out there and you're working you're making lots of money and being successful mm -hmm. because of how you look Mm -hmm. How was she feeling about what you were doing at this point? Kind of as you kind of were getting into your twenties and becoming independent, and I think they were proud, like any parents yeah. would be, you know. Which is that the world was sort of saying, like, "Oh, your daughter's beautiful and your daughter's special," and that felt good as parents, um, which I relate to as a parent myself, um, and understanding like wow, it feels like this your child is sort of a reflection of you. And I also think that you know, they were really glad that I had a way to make money. You know, I graduated in high school in 2009, right when the housing market collapsed and I was going to college for art, which is not exactly a pathway to a secure lifestyle. And I think they were just glad that I had another way to make money and guarantee myself some security. So Emily, let's talk about a change now that you went through in adulthood. What do you think is the biggest one that you went through that you'd want to talk about today? Um, I think it's sort of the premise of this book in some ways, which is that for a long time, I really believed that I was like a hustler and very savvy in the way that I commodified my body and my image and succeeded by building a career and even called it, you know, empowering, which is a conversation because there is still undeniable ways that I've been re rewarded for that, the, the way that I've commodified my image and my body. But at some point in my adulthood, I realized that I had a lot of anxiety. I had a lot of anger, a lot of unhappiness, a lot of fear. I op operated out of fear in a lot of ways. And I had to sort of take a look at why that was. And that meant that I had to reckon with the political beliefs that I had had around my position in the world and uh, about my stance around women and how I had built my life. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a huge change. That idea of that, that, that kind of belief system, just that total switch. And I'm really interested in it. I can see both sides so clearly as to, you know, why you were thinking those ways. At what point was the kind of catalyst for this realization? You said you started feeling anxious and you were feeling these feelings, but was, did something happen in your life for those feelings to rise to the surface, I suppose? Well, I started seeing my now husband and I really wanted to like be close to him. Um, yeah. And I think that, you know, things were coming up for me um, around 
just all kinds of things. And he works in Hollywood. He's a producer. And I had like feelings about his work and just, I was sort of starting to just be aware of patterns of behavior for myself. And I had to take a harder look at what, what was causing those things. So I would say that was part of it. I think just also getting a little bit older and having perspective on the sort of like whirlwind of career that had kind of swept me off my feet. And I felt like I didn't really have control over and feeling like, okay, where, where is my life at now? My mom also got sick. So I was dealing with some pretty hard feelings around the thought of losing her. And it just kind of made, I think falling into that sort of hard time made me realize like I need to start to take care of myself and look at things a little differently even just examine them at all, actually. Yeah, absolutely. One of the reasons why you became so famous so quickly is the Blurred Lines video. I don't know if you want to talk about that, if you've talked about that till the cows come home. But just the idea of becoming so famous so quickly as a result of being in this thing that you weren't really that fussed about beforehand, you know, it just came to you, you agreed. How did you handle that at the time? It's such a massive recalibration to, to your existence. I don't think I really handled it. I just kind of was, um, I had no perspective on it whatsoever. Now when I meet people who like experience that, I sometimes am really impressed by how much they seem to be like aware of what's going on. Or there's a lot of people in Hollywood and in fashion who have family who work in entertainment or they've known a lot of famous people and they always seem to like handle it really well or at least be self-aware. I kind of just was like, what's happening? (laughs) You know? Um, And it was before, you know, I had an Instagram and like it was, Instagram was a huge part of my life already then, but it was before the time where you could be like, and they gained 3 million followers overnight. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there yeah. was no way to like specifically put my finger on what was happening. Got it. Um, other than just kind of like the responses of people on the street and whatever. So it, it felt like this slow sort of understanding of like, oh, I'm famous now, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it took me, a, I think it took me years to sort of digest that. Yeah. And also it wasn't just becoming famous. It was also that controversy around the video and that coming back on you, you know, as a 21 year old girl, you know, being asked to justify and respond to this huge argument. Was that fair? Do you think looking back? Um, I think it's nice that, you know, we live in a world where now we ask women how they feel about things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, true. I think that I ended up being like the kind of poster child for this thing that I um, as far as like the song lyrics go, I had never heard the song until I got to set. And honestly, even that day, I don't think I really thought about the lyrics, but no, I, I don't think that it wasn't fair. I think that I had some things to say about my experience on that video that fit with how I wanted to feel about myself at the time that were, I called political, which I think there was still a lot of truth in them, but it kind of missed the more complicated picture, which now I'm talking about with this book. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's so insightful getting your whole detailed perspective on that thing and how, you know, the reasons why you agreed to do it and, you know, the people on set and the women and just this feeling of feeling safe and then just how it kind of all exploded off the back of that. Where are you at with it now? You know, having written that essay, having kind of, as you say, organized your thoughts about it. 
Well, I didn't want to write that essay. I had snuck that whole experience into another essay. Um, and my editor was like, I think this is its own essay. Um, (laughs) and I even think when I was doing the audio recording yesterday, I was reading it and I was like, oh, wow, I really didn't want to get to this. Like I wanted to talk about, you know, I had to sort of start at why, why I had started modeling what I, how I, my approach to it, how I felt about it before I even get to the part where I'm like, okay. And then this video came up. Um, Mm. and it was so important to me to describe like all the elements of what I felt in general about what it meant to be a working model, or as I called myself at the time, like a mannequin. Um, and also describe like how actually that set compared to most of the jobs I was working on at that time, I did feel like a part of the team and well-treated. And I was actually kind of having fun in ways Mm -hmm. that, um, so I think like I kind of, when the video came out and people said to me, what do you make of this? I was like, well, no, I mean, I'm still friends with some of the women who worked on that set. So it was complicated. What was interesting that sort of happened out of that time that we were just talking about, it was post me too and everything. I have this moment that I write about in the essay where I remembered the aspect of the day, something mm. that had happened during the filming that was totally contradictory to everything I had said about the video in the past. And can you tell us what that moment was? Yeah. Um, at one point, Robin Thicke was drinking and he groped my breasts in the middle of filming, kind of like surprised me with it. Yeah. And it's shocking when you read about it in the chapter as well, just in terms of the reactions to the people around you. It was very nonchalant. It was like, well, no touching, carry on, keep filming. And it was. Yeah. I mean, I think that the truth is, is that nobody other than him were, were, nobody on that set was capable of shutting that set down. So even if I had said like, I'm done shooting, like this is over the truth is what would have happened is I would have gone home and probably continued to work as a model and like never had the career that I had. (laughs) So um, (laughs) that's just the truth. So it's not even so much about how like personally anyone handled it. It's about the overall dynamics that were at play. Talking about the word safety and that kind of realization of you in adulthood, kind of feeling this maybe a retrospective kind of fear over what had happened in your life up to then. There's so many elements where you're reading the essays and you kind of feel how unsafe you are and the positions that you're put in where you're told to go. They're very much the norm of what what it seems like you were expected to do as a young woman. Going off to houses, staying over in random guys' houses you've never met. It's pretty shocking, you know, a lot of the stuff that happened to you. What do you think you know, looking back at your experiences of the industry, which I'm sure are mirrored so many times by other, you know, models. What do you think needs to change to make it safer? And can it, is it possible? Like, have you seen it change for the better? Well, I'm in a different position than I was when I was like an unknown model. So I think that I can't speak to that. And I'm hoping that when this book comes out, that there will be people who are young and are in those positions of being a working model and we'll be able to talk about what the industry is like now. But from my understanding, not much has changed. When I talk to other models, stuff I see online, like it seems like everything's sort of the same. Now people are scared of being held accountable. So they're afraid of being canceled, but they're not actually worried about protecting 
these women or girls. Um, I think that's just true in general in our cultures. Like now everybody acts out of fear rather than actually like understanding what's at stake and like who's going to be hurt. Um, so, uh, the things now reading the essays, when I look back, there was, I didn't even think about, you know, how I even started to realize that I had been unsafe and that I had often gone into these situations where I was really uncomfortable. It didn't sort of come to me. I didn't realize it until I started being really fearful in situations where there was nothing to be afraid of. And then I started realizing like, where has this like fearful response developed? And that's when I started looking at these experiences that I had a lot of shame around. Um, one of the things that I think personally, like if, you know, I have a daughter, if I ever have a daughter or just in general, when I talk to young women, like I really had no sense of boundaries and I had no sense of say, like the ability to say no, or to even let people know what I wanted or didn't want sexually, personally, but also in these situations, um, professionally. So I think that if, women are in a position where they can say no more, which again, like the blurred line set is a perfect example. If I had said no, you know, in that situation, it would have really only impacted me negatively in that moment. You know, <laughs> I mean, I think it's twofold. I think we need women who learn to like, no, to learn that they can speak their truth, but we also need to change the world to actually listen to them when they tell you what they want or don't want. It's twofold. There's, again, really interesting passages about just the idea of ownership and your body and how your body and images of your body are passed around and used and sold and just put in books. And so much has happened with images of your body without your permission, as if you were the last person in the line that needs to know or, you know, be asked about it. Um, and then the book comes full circle in this beautiful way where your body kind of feels like yours again at the end when you, you give birth to your baby. Um, that moment of giving birth, did it feel like that at the time? Like, did you have this kind of epiphany about your body? Yeah, I think pregnancy for me was like a really important experience because and like, I don't really talk about it that much in the book because I partly felt like it'll just be its own book or something yeah. like it's too big yeah. of a thing. But, you know, so much of the book is, I feel like me, even the act of writing the book, but also what I write about is me kind of trying to get control, have control. Mm. And, you know, it seemed to me, and it still feels like it in many ways, like the more control I have, the better, the more safe I'll be, the happier I'll be, whatever. Sure. The thing about pregnancy is that you're like completely out of control. Your body is just on automatic and you're like witnessing it and you don't know really what's going on. And there's another person you're responsible for that's anonymous, but is kicking mm. or not kicking enough. And I think that that was such an important lesson for me to learn about control, which is that actually like true healing is also like acknowledging that like you have to let go, you have to like release control. Um, and that's what birth gave for me. Um, yeah. And I'm interested in dissociation as well and, and how you use that over the years in order to be able to do a lot of what you did, um, can you talk to me about that and, and, and then how that served you, if it did, 
when it came to anything else like pregnancy and labor? Yeah. So I didn't even have a name to it. I just kind of felt like, I actually think I misrep. Sometimes I would think that confidence was, I thought it was confidence when actually it was me disassociating. Um, because I thought like, well, I'm just, yeah, I'm just confident. I can like strip down and not care when actually like so many parts of myself were shut off. Um, which is strange. And I, I still am kind of weeding that through, to be honest, especially after so many years of really getting, being used to like being naked in front of strangers or being stripped down in front of strangers. Um, and like, them assessing my body and, you know, using it to sell a product or to make an image. Um, I still like, I'm not sure what's confidence and what's just me not like living inside of my body where the line is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I think that, I mean, that last essay was the hardest one for me to write partly because I was postpartum and was like, what the hell is happening? I'm finishing a book and breastfeeding and like not sleeping and who am I and what the hell? Um, You have kids. Who are you, you baby? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I couldn't think of words. So, um, uh, and didn't recognize myself in the mirror at points. And, you know, um, but actually that chapter was so great for me to write because I was trying to think of um, kind of a really like a moment where I've been in my body where it hasn't been about the way I look or being assessed, but actually just about like the joy of living in your Mm. existing in your physical self. Um, And birth is of course an obvious one, but the other anecdote that took me so long to find, which is sad. I wish that there would have been easy and there had been a million to choose from was just going on a bike ride with my husband and my best friend and feeling like the beauty of being able to enjoy that with them and not caring about like feeling safe and not caring about what I looked like or how it was perceived because I feel loved and just like enjoying an afternoon. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So the timing of this book feels really apt. Like, we've talked a bit about motherhood and the labor, but how has it changed your perspective on on what, what you've done up to this point, if at all? Well, I mean... 
the hardest part of, part about writing this book wasn't like getting it down. I mean, all those things are difficult, but the hardest part was getting over being mad at myself and the shame I felt for the ways that I had participated in some of these dynamics. And, um, I think that that is definitely what the book and writing it has given me. Like I didn't sit down to, to write, um, you know, a book about, or write an essay about a female friendship, like with Sadie, the girl that I write about, or about my first high school boyfriend, because I was like, I want to write about internalized misogyny or sexual assault or whatever. I Mm. was like, God, that friendship or that relationship has stuck with me for so long. And I'm like, so embarrassed of it. And I don't have it figured out. Like I'm going to try to write to get to the bottom of this. And that has been such a gift um, to be able to do that. And then, you know, again, like organizing my thoughts around my politics about like, you know, I want, I do want to continue to make a living and succeed in this Mm. world, um, in the world of, in the way that I've been successful in the past, which is continuing to be a model and whatever. Um, it's, it's, I'm driven to be, to do that. And I think that understanding sort of like the larger picture of what, why I feel that way was really important for me um, yeah. because I felt like something was, I don't know, like I was, I feel embarrassed of the idea of even posting a picture on Instagram. Like it's some part of it's like in, embarrassing because it's so it's like external validation continuing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I've now just realized like, of course, women want external validation. Of course we want to feel beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, it's how our culture operates. And um, I'm, I would never tell a young girl not to model, but I would also hope that she would read my book and have a sense of, of all sides of the coin, not just what you see on billboards and on Instagram. How have you found people's reactions to you having written a book of essays? And and what do you think about the idea of being able to do both of these things in parallel with each other? How do you think people will feel about that? Um, so the book isn't out yet. And yeah. it's definitely scary. I feel very nervous about how people are. Go- I mean, I've really put bared my soul sort of um, in this book and it's scary to think about how, you know, my experience with media and with the internet is that people take like one thing out of context sure, and then um, it sort of blows up. And that's hard because I tried to write something really nuanced and it's going to be shitty to watch it be reduced into things that it's not. But I hope that while that's, I think that's just going to be a part of the experience that overall instead it will make people think about how, how complicated these things are, start conversations. And, um, you know, I'm, I don't know. I think that, yeah, I think people are going to have, I don't know how people are going to react to, to sort of, you know, oh, this person is saying this. I'm not sure, probably not great, but I mean, that's, I'm willing to take that risk because I think it's important to tell these stories. So important. So important. I think, um, uh, sorry, I had a question in my head okay. and then I just heard my youngest kid say, can you wipe my bum bum daddy? And now I'm, now I'm thrown off. Oh yeah. That's what I wanted to ask you about becoming a mom. Mm-hmm. So I, I have two boys 
And I had a career that was kind of vaguely in the public eye. And one of the things I found really profound as a shift when I became a mother was how I, I don't know whether it was how I felt about myself and I was projecting that or, or, or whether it was genuinely how other people saw me, but I felt like when I crossed the threshold into motherhood, people looked at me differently hmm. yeah. as, a, as a physical person, you know, the, the, the idea of being sexually desirable, I don't know. It, it, I've, I, I, maybe I was putting that on myself. I don't know. Like, how does it, you know, how does it feel being a mom now and being a model? Mm-hmm. Do you know a lot of other model moms? Yeah, I do. Um, I do know. I don't know yet is the, yeah. the, the honest answer. I definitely think that the experience of giving birth and breastfeeding, like those are parts of my body that were only used for sexual things before. Yeah. So to have all of a sudden it be this totally other thing, it's definitely been a weird experience for me. And I'm still kind of coming to terms with it. Like, oh, wow. Like my body isn't like, it's not just something that like I can use for pleasure. It also like Mm. brings life into this world and feeds a growing human. Um, That is definitely strange. And I just, I'm still new to it. I'm, you know, he's six months old. Um, But I write about it a little bit. Like I've definitely people have said to me like, oh, you're um, like, you're a mom now, you know? And it's kind of like, what does that mean? Like what? Does, <laughs> I'm still me. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And people will be like, so much has gone on and you know, you, you're now a mom. And it's like, well, mm. okay, what, what does that mean? How do you see me differently? Because clearly you're alluding to something, but what, what do you mean by that exactly? And nobody yeah. has really clarified that yet. So I think I'm still just, and it's, you know, it's also COVID. So still, I feel like I haven't okay. seen as many people as whatever. And, um, you know, more like for me, I feel like, oh, wow, I like grew a whole person and now they're outside of my body and I'm here and what the hell, <laughs> what the hell? Yeah. Um, that's, I'm still just kind of figuring it out. Mm. It it definitely gave me a huge amount more of respect for my body than I'd ever had before. I was like, whoa, you are a machine. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just incredible. Like, as you say, you lose all control and you have to just sit back and allow your body just to to do the work and trust it. Yeah. Yeah. Something beautiful in that. Oh my God, beyond. Um, I mean, I just, I'll never get over it. That's what I tell people. I'll just never get over it. Did you write like in detail about your labor? Yeah, I did. I, you know, it was really hard. Like at one point I wanted to write a whole essay on breastfeeding because that experience was like kind of the one that blew my mind the most, Mm. partly because I was the least prepared for it. I didn't understand that like my baby was going to need to feed from me every two to three hours. Um, And it blew my mind more than like pregnancy, which I like did all the research on and birth. And I think I felt like some kind of superstitious about reading too much about breastfeeding because I felt like somehow maybe he wouldn't be healthy if I like yeah. planned too much for him. So, um, I screwed myself in that way. <laughs> and, um, I think it's just like, that is its own subject and world that I'm, I'm still like getting used to. And also right now I'm living it and really enjoying it, like really yeah. enjoying having this beautiful baby in my life yeah. and don't want to miss one second of it mm-hmm. um, more than I already have to just by promoting this book, finishing this book, whatever, working in general. And yeah, but I could definitely see myself kind of turning to the subject of motherhood. Um, I 
read quite a few books that I really, I think, wrestle with it in a very interesting way. And it's kind of in the back of my head. Mm. Yeah. Emily, uh, we always ask guests on this podcast a third change question, which is, is there anything you'd like to change about your life or the world around you moving forwards? Mm -hmm. So for myself, I don't think I know what I want to change. I think I'm, again, talking about like letting go of control. Um, I think I'm okay with how I'm going to change. And what I would want to maybe change about myself now isn't maybe the thing that actually really needs to change. So I'm sort of letting um, experience and life take me where it's going to and trusting in that process. Mm -hmm. About the world, um, in this particular moment, I mean, there's so many things that I would like to change, but I think we need more nuance in conversations and in the way we look at things. And I think we have this real polarity, this real black and white type of thinking um, that's just incestuous. It's just everywhere now um, when it comes to any subject, everything is bad or good. Um, Mm. Even things that definitely aren't good and even things that are definitely not just bad. So um, I think that's gotten worse with the way we consume media and the internet. And I think that needs to be corrected. so that's one of the things that I feel very strongly about right now. One of the things I enjoyed most about your book was just how honest you were um, about everything, you know. And one of those that stood out was when you you did the essay about being on holidays with S and you're on the beach and you're Instagramming. You have 20, is it 28 million followers on Instagram? And you talked about how it's a buzz uploading a picture and being able to cause this kind of, I can't remember the exact words, but this kind of you know, tidal wave of a reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, how, well, like, what is your relationship to Instagram at the moment? How are you feeling about that? And just that, that kind of influence that you inadvertently have? Well, it's really interesting because I'm starting to want to talk about the book and use my platform to talk about the book. And I feel like I'm hitting this weird thing. Like I did a Instagram live, which I've never really done very many of other, other than one with another person. Um, and I was just really trying to talk to my followers the way I'm talking to you right now. And it's like a totally new side of myself that I'm showing the world. And I don't want to like make the book seem cheesy in any way. Right. By like promoting it the wrong way. But then I also want I want people to fucking read it. Yeah, <laughs> so absolutely. I'm like in this weird position where I'm thinking about that and it's making me think about my relationship to, to social media and what I put out there in a new way. Um, mm. But, you know, it's again, like it's so complicated. Like I want to increase my followers because I want them to read my book and because I want to continue to make money. Yeah. Um, but then I also like want to, be I desperately want to be genuine and it feels like those two things like haven't quite married come together yet yeah and so I'm hoping that when the book comes out and that experience of other people reading it it'll sort of like let me figure that puzzle out yeah I think it will do that by itself it will be the last piece of the puzzle and that it will because that's what it does as you know as someone who knows you and is aware of you and like how you look apart from your acting jobs Mm -hmm. you read this and it kind of it I don't know it just it it like colors in a 
black and white sketch, you know, you get the full story. Yeah, it was really important for me, you know, like the idea of writing fiction or something, obviously that would have protected me more in this moment. Um, Like I wouldn't have to be talking to you about my parents and like my personal trauma and whatever, but it felt so important to me that I write nonfiction because I want people to, I think it's, important. Like you have one idea of that's part of the experience of reading the book, right. Is like having an idea of who someone is knowing a little bit about them and then like filling it all in. in this way, I think that's, that's an experience that says something about the way we look at women and the way that we, you know, relate to people online, um, that hopefully like also informs people's experience of it. Yeah. And uh, you, you've really kind of empowered yourself in the process of gaining these followers by, I mean, you had a kind of realization at one point, didn't you, where you were like, hang on, I'm just making money for other people here. Mm, Yeah. So, you know, it's hard because again, like commodifying my body and my image has built me a following of 28 million people. Like, so being able to then publish a book then not just feel like, I wonder if anyone's going to read it. Like it's undeniable that, you know, there's a certain amount of power that has come through building a platform like that. Um, but definitely, you know, it's a really complicated thing I have to, with business and stuff, because, um, you know, uh, I definitely for a very long time was making other people way more money using my, my plot followers and my platform and my business. And it got to a point where I basically made the call of like, I have to be in control and have to be the one who's dictating what images, how my body is used in these photo shoots, whatever. Um, otherwise like I can't do this anymore. So that's, um, that's where I'm at right now, which is like trying to have control by having my own company and then making kind of case by case calls on what I want to do or not do when I'm working with a company, um, or a corporation, uh, which is, yeah, it's like a, it's a day by day thing. And it's just kind of almost like a gut check. Emily, thank you so much for your time. I just absolutely love the book. I'm going to be recommending it to my friends, passing it around. Um, And yeah, I just really appreciate it today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to Emily Ratajkowski for that conversation. I feel like we really warmed up towards the end. I don't know whether it was my kids shouting at my husband to wipe his bum, but it was very lovely to hear her kind of really just light up on the topic of motherhood and see how it's kind of helped her just make sense of her entire existence and her entire experience in her body. So I'm happy for Emily Ratajkowski and that book is called My Body, It's Out Now. Do like, subscribe, review, share this podcast, send it out. I love hearing from you. And I was so heartened to see the responses to Bexie Cameron's story last week. Such a huge reaction to that one. Verity said, you beautiful, brave woman, how these experiences shape us is powerful, how strong you are. Sophie said, this podcast just gets better and better. Um, Thank you so much, Sophie. Yeah, if you haven't had a chance to listen to Bexie's story, it's similar to Emily's in a way, in that it's about a belief system cracking and space being formed and new ideas being claimed. In Bexie's case, it's a lot more visceral and immediate. It's, you know, her at 10 years old starting to realise that her whole childhood was based on the lie 
of a religious doctrine just made up by a man called David Berg who ran a cult, the Children of God, the cult that Bexie was born into. Honestly, go take a listen. Her story is just so unbelievable. Right, Changes is produced by Frank Palmer. We will be back again next week with another episode. Till then, take care, my dears. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.